0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au.
1: As Laura said, today is Good Friday and it's our first Easter service for 2023. So kids, I'm going to put you to the test now, all right? I know it's school holidays, but one more test, all right? Can anyone tell me what we remember at Easter. What do we remember? Yell it out. You can yell out in church. This is your chance. <laughs> Jesus died on, on the cross to take away our sins. That's good. That's absolutely what we remember. We remember Jesus' death on Good Friday. And what do we celebrate on Easter Sunday? I won't call it the other thing because that'll give it away. What do we celebrate on Easter Sunday? Anyone? Jesus dying on the cross. And then what did he do? Rose up again to new life, Jesus' resurrection. That's exactly what we celebrate at Easter each and every year. Do you ever wonder, do you ever think to yourself sometimes, well, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? I'm sure we've all thought that thought before, whether we're we're a, a young child, maybe someone who's seeking spiritual truth or purpose or meaning in life, or even those of us who are adults who've followed Jesus for many years, potentially. We kind of get thinking to ourselves, don't we? And we think, well, surely there could have been another way. God's kind of all-powerful. He can do anything He wants. Why did this have to be the way it went? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, this Easter, this is what we're going to focus on today, and also in Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. So, a bit of a, a two part journey, and then we'll wrap up on Sunday morning. So, how about we pray as we open God's Word together and either better understand or even just understand for the very first time, appreciate in our hearts, not just in our heads, why Jesus' death on the cross was necessary and why. On Good Friday, it is truly good news for every single person in existence. Let's pray. Jesus, beautiful Saviour, we thank you so much for all that you have done on this day of all days, Lord, as we look to the cross, as we remember the cost, as we, as we consider that, that you gave your life for our sake, we are just blown away. We are in awe and we're also hurt i guess in the sense that as we sung earlier that that it was our sin that put you there um and yet lord you chose to willingly go there to deal with our sin and so god today as we focus on the cross as we pause as we sit as we remember we just pray god that you would reveal to our hearts in deeper ways and even in ways that are unsaid through my words or through any scriptures that are read, Lord, but just by your spirit, that you would be revealing deepening truths to our hearts that would not just be information, but that they would be thoughts and ideas that would bring transformation, radical transformation in our lives. Because Lord, you didn't die for us to to stay the way we were. You died that sin would go and we would be transformed forever. So God, speak to us this morning. Speak to us over this Easter weekend, we pray. We want to worship you by sitting at your feet and remembering today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kids, I need your help again. Who can tell me who Jesus was? How would you describe him to someone if someone asked you who Jesus was? You don't know? That's all right. The Son of God. That's a good one, really. Jesus. I reckon that is the best description. So it kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? He was Jesus. You know, Jesus was a good man. He was a great man, but he wasn't only a man, was he? Who, Jesus was God, God with skin on. And Jesus went all around sharing about his kingdom about the good news, offering hope and a future to a world that was broken then and hope and future to a world that is broken today. And you know, some people, they loved what Jesus was saying, didn't they? They eagerly accepted his teachings. They, were, they heard it and they were quick to join him and, and follow him. And then others didn't. Some people were pretty safe to say they were pretty worried They were pretty afraid when they heard Jesus say things like, I'm God. That would be if someone said that today, we'd we'd be a little bit worried, wouldn't we? But especially back then, for someone to say, I'm God, that's a big call. And others felt threatened when they heard Jesus talking about his kingdom. Because hang on a minute, we're under Roman rule here. (laughs) There's a king, and he doesn't like any other kings who is this guy? Is he going to come in? Is he going to cause upheaval? Is he going to overthrow the Romans? What's going on here? Many people as well, as often happens, happens in Australia, doesn't it? It's the tall poppy kind of syndrome. As soon as they saw Jesus and all the miraculous things that he was doing, the way people loved him, the amazing miracles they did, they became jealous. They envied this man. But there was no one who was more upset with jesus than some of the jewish leaders of the day why well they saw jesus as a threat they were intimidated by jesus because here is this unschooled person from nobody because that's literally what they would have thought telling us and better communicating scripture than we can even after our lifetime of training who does this man think he is and they felt that he was challenging their authority and their teachings. And he was, wasn't he? And so what did they do? Well, they thought, well, it's either him or us, so we're going to get rid of him. Because if he keeps going, if people keep following him, there won't be any need for us. He'll be the, this new one and he'll, everyone will love him and there'll be nothing, no part for us to play. So they began plotting, scheming. How they could do away with Jesus, how they could have this man Jesus killed, and it's a it's a tragic it's a tragic moment in the story, isn't it? That Jesus was not betrayed by one of those Jewish leaders who you know tricked him into a meeting to then capture him or something like that. Jesus was betrayed by one of his own, by one of his own disciples, one of his closest friends, Judas. And then he was handed over to the authorities. And Jesus ended up face to face with the Roman leader of the day. Kids, do you know what the Roman leader of the day was called? Well done, Pilate. And Pilate was, he was a bit of a people pleaser too, wasn't he? Like a lot of leaders are, I guess. He didn't want to upset anyone. He was really worried about everyone liking him. So when Jesus came before him, he gave orders for Jesus, even though he figured this was a man who had done no wrong, he was innocent in every way, he gave him over to be crucified, to be given a criminal's death, a horrible death on the cross. Now, even with that, i very quickly paraphrase the whole story there, but even with that very quick backstory, that doesn't really make it any clearer, does it? Why, why did Jesus have to die? Did Jesus only die because he was, he was betrayed? He was handed over to Pilate? Or are there other reasons, deeper, spiritual reasons for Jesus' death? For, for all of us here today and, and watching online, from the, from the youngest of us to the most mature member in the room, There's there's a really handy acronym that uh, Focus on the Family developed that can help us to remember and share with others why Jesus died. And here it is. S-A-V-E. Save. So what we're going to do today, we're going to flesh out the first two. And then on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we'll, we'll finish off. So here's what the S reminds us. S reminds us that Jesus had to die, or Jesus died, because sin separates us from God. You know, sin, sometimes we think of sin and we think, oh, sin is doing bad things. And yeah, that's an element of sin, but sin is not just doing bad things. Often today, in our society, where truth is a bit more relative, and, oh, well, this is what I believe, and we kind of respect people and go, OK, well, if that's your belief, that's lovely, that's true to you, but here's my truth, and we're all running around with lots of different truths, often we kind of push back at this idea of, of there being anything wrong with us, don't we? We kind of like the idea that we've got it all together. I'm a self-made woman or I'm a self-made man. Who, who are you to tell me that, that I'm flawed in some way? even though deep inside we know we're really flawed in many ways. And we say things like this. We say, oh, I'm, I'm not a sinner. How dare you? How judgmental of you? I'm a good person. I don't take things that aren't mine, maybe a pencil from work. I don't cheat or steal others. I'm a good, decent and kind person. And that would be great if that was what the measure of being a sinner was or struggling with sin is. But that's not what sin is about. Sin is far deeper than Sin is about our heart. Friends, at its core, we see it from the very opening pages of the Bible when Adam and Eve chose to walk away from God. Sin is going our own way. Sin is not following God, doing what we think is best, living life, ultimately, and we're good at this in our postmodern world, living life like we ourselves are God. Like we know best. Like, like um, we're, we're number one. Like, no one else is worthy of worship except for me. Going by our own rules. And that, in and of itself, is having a hard heart towards God. Because when we go our own way, we're not going in step with God and his ways. I like how John, in, in John, uh, 1 John 3, 4, he describes sin so simply. He says this, he says, sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is living as though there is no law, that there's no requirements on us, or even that we're a law unto ourselves. We make the rules. If it's good for me, it's good for me, and don't really care what effect it has on other people. This is what sin is. And because this is what sin is, it means that every single one of us have sinned, doesn't it? Has anyone not lived like that? Don't say yes, because then you're lying and then you've sinned as well. So even and this is hard to believe, isn't it? Has anyone got a really beautiful, kind, gentle, compassionate, eternally loving grandma? Or grandpa? Even that beautiful, kind, eternally loving grandma, even she is a why? Because grandma, like all of us, chooses to go her own way instead of God's from time to time. And because she does. She sins, and her sin separates her from God. Every single one of us have sinned. And as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3.23, all of us fall short of the glory of God. We sin, we've all turned away from God. And we know, don't we? We know the effects of sin. We know the effects of sin personally, in our own lives, we see the effects of sin and, and all the brokenness in, in the world around us. You know, world conflicts right now. What's going on over there in Ukraine? We see even now, um, for those of you who have a bit of spare, spare cash to, to give to a, a worthy cause, maybe have a look at what's going on in the Horn of Africa right now. Somalia are looking as though they'll go into yet another famine hundreds of thousands of people believing that they'll lose their lives, if not for significant intervention. There's, our world is broken. Sin has run rampant. And we hurt ourselves, we hurt other people, but the thing with sin is it also hurts God, and it hurts God terribly. Sin is offensive to God. Kids, have, have, you, ever, have you ever heard or seeing someone say anything that's really offensive? Anyone? Yeah? Maybe in the playground, someone said really rude, and as soon as they said it, you just had the, oh, that's disgusting. It it repulsed you. I don't like that at all. Well, that's kind of a good way of thinking about how God, when God, um, when it comes to sin. You know, God is so good and perfect and holy He cannot be anywhere near any sin, anything that is broken. It's kind of like, has anyone ever done this? Maybe you can remember to your high school days of having two magnets. Has anyone ever done this? And you have those really strong magnets. Maybe you did it with a friend, those really strong ones. And you try and try as hard as you can to put the two magnets together. But no matter what you do, they just can't stick. They can't connect and probably end up like taking out your mate's nose with the other magnet because they, they, they just can't touch, they can't stick together because the polarities repel each other and you just get close and then it goes shoom, like that and you try and get close and then it goes again no matter what you do. And that's like what happens with, with sin and with God. Our sin keeps us from connecting with God, staying connected with God. And sin, for generations now, it's caused chaos, brokenness in people's individual lives, in families, and all throughout the world. Sin is a deadly sickness, and it's poisoned all of God's world. Now, here's the good news. Sin was never a part of God's plan. Sin was never a part of God's plan. God knew, as Justin said this morning, he knew that it was coming, but he hadn't, it wasn't something he'd dreamt up. It wasn't something that brought life and joy and peace and all his beautiful characteristics into the world. He, it wasn't of him. Right from the very beginning, when God created the world and, and created people, us, in his image, his desire was to know us was not to be at arm's length from us, was not to be like a, a magnet where we try to come close, would just quickly zoom off again and be separated. No, God wanted to be connected to us forever. And as, we, as we've seen, as we're reflecting today, sin was what kept people from God. So God wanted to deal with and defeat sin once and for all. And this leads to, to the second letter, A in save. And the A reminds us that a way to God was made. A way to God was made. Do you want to hear some more bad news on Good Friday? No? <laughs> I'll tell you anyway. The Apostle Paul tells us in, in Romans chapter 6 that the wages, in other words, what we get for sinning... Well, that's not great news, is it? The wages of sin is death. Now here is the good news. And this is for Good Friday. This is for tomorrow. This is for every single day. This doesn't change. This is good news. God had a master plan, a grand plan. It was a plan that would completely deal with the issue of sin and make a way for people to be connected to God forever. You see, Because the wages of sin is death, a sacrifice needed to be made to make things right. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you might have read some of the Old Testament books before and looked at all the the laws and the requirements that God instituted to make a way for people to come to him by, you know, making certain offerings Or um, certain, yeah, many different offerings and sacrifices, ways to bring people to Him. But what was the issue with them? They were only ever temporary, they only ever lasted for a little while. But part of God's grand plan was to send a one time sacrifice to deal with sin once and for all. But this sacrifice needed to be perfect. So, how could that possibly happen? Who of us is perfect? No man, no woman, no child, no one has ever been, no one who ever is to come is ever gonna be perfect. And this is why God sent his only son, Jesus, to earth. Jesus, fully God and yet fully man, was perfect. He was blameless. He lived a beautiful, perfect, sinless life showed us the way that life is best lived in obedience to God, in radical sacrificial love to others. And then, as we reflect on this morning, he sent his son to be the perfect one-time sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. For you, for me, for everyone. Only Jesus' death, Would make things right with God forever. Now, John the Baptist, I don't know if some of you might be familiar with John the Baptist. He was a bit of a strange character. He's a bit of a strange cat. He'd probably be one of those people you'd be tempted to make a bit of a bit of an arc around if you saw him coming your way. He said a lot of really strange things. And one day when he saw Jesus approaching, he said a really strange thing. He was a strange guy. He ate locusts with honey and was in, you know, beautiful clothing as well. His interesting cat. But in John 1 23, John the Baptist said these words. He said, Behold, or look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, what happened? John the Baptist, who was sent by God to prepare the way for the one who was to come, the Messiah, John saw Jesus for who he truly was. He saw him coming to him, and he knew he was the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the one sent by God for one clear purpose, to take away the sins of the world, our Saviour. And friends, this is why Good Friday and, and thinking about the cross and, and kids, you know, even thinking about the nails and, and Jesus' body that was broken and, and his blood that was shed for us. This is why all of this is really good news. This is why it is to be celebrated today and forever until Jesus comes again. Jesus paid the price for our sins. The payment for sin as Romans says, as Paul writes, was death. And Jesus gave his life to pay that price in full, one time, for all people. Jesus saved us, from on the cross for us. You know, we, we could never do it. We could never try and try as we might. We can never make things right with God. Who's, who's got caught in that trap before? Thinking, oh, maybe if I just pray more or maybe if I just do more good things, then God will be pleased with me or then I might earn my, my, my value to God. You ever done, tried that before? Well, we can't do that. We can't. Jesus' work, Jesus did. He finished the job. He finished the job of dealing with our brokenness, of dealing with our shame, of dealing with the very thing that keeps God from connecting with us. And that's why Jesus' last words on the cross recorded in John 19:30 he says it is finished. It is finished. Because he died, sin was defeated and God made the way. At the very moment this is I love this, even just thinking of the, the symbolism of this, you know. The very moment Jesus took his last breath, some pretty crazy things happened. We were reading the account this, this morning with some hot cross buns with the kids and, you know, rocks breaking, feeling like the whole creation is going to kind of come undone, earthquakes, all sorts of things were going on. But one major thing happened that meant everything to people who became aware of it and can, to us as well. The curtain in the temple, the curtain in the temple, the very thing, and we think of a curtain and we think of something that's, you know, like three or four mil thick. This curtain is like this thick, you know? The curtains were made so thick, so that if the the priests were on one side and God, the Holy of Holies were on the other, the curtain was made so thick so that if a priest, which would often happen, I reckon, accidentally tripped, he wouldn't fall in and through into God's very presence and die. Because that's what happened. That's, that's, so that's why the curtains were so thick. So think about this, right? The curtain in the temple at the very moment Jesus died on the cross was torn in two. Just like that. A thick, solid, linen curtain that you probably couldn't even move if you were to push it, just ripped from the top to the bottom in two. And you know what that meant, friends? It meant that the divide between humans and the very presence of God was gone. It was gone. Access, a way to God, was made through Jesus' death on the cross. No more was there a need for people to be separated from God. No more was there a need for certain rituals and requirements to be made to pay the price for man's sin so they could be in right relationship with God. No more was there even a need for a priest to make offerings on your behalf. Jesus paid the price for sin as the Lamb of God once and for all. Access to God was made for all. Full access, all because he gave his life for the sins of the world. So what we're going to do today, just as we conclude our service today, is we're going to actually just listen to Jen, Jen Hoyles, our children's pastor. She's going to jump up and read the accounts of these events from Mark's Gospel. And so Jen will be, be reading quite, quite a lengthy passage. So I just encourage you, we're not going to show this passage on the screen. We're, we're just going to take this time to have a personal moment, just you and God. So bow your head, close your eyes, get down on, on your knees if you want to. Whatever you want to do, just to get in that zone and pause and reflect with Jesus just to encourage you to do that as we reflect on the incredible sacrifice that he made in giving up his life as the full payment for our sin so that a way to his Father would be made for all people. Thanks.
0: Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judah said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out here with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and did not you and you did not arrest me but the scripture must be fulfilled Then everyone deserted him and fled A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus when they seized him he fled naked leaving his garment behind They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests the elders and the teachers of the law came together Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest then he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy, and the guards took him and beat him. While Jesus was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You were also with the Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went away into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I do not know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. They bound Jesus, led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things, so again Pilate asked him, "'Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of?' But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising.'" The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. "'Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews?' asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. "'What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews?' Pilate asked asked them. "'Crucify him!' they shouted. "'Why? What crime has he committed?' asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, hail, king of the Jews. And again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spat on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him, and when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes back on. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him mixed wine and myrrh, but he did not take it. And then they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see which each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saves others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with wine and vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God.